All right, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Double On Radio Games Cast, episode number forty-three. As always, I'm your host Ryan, and I'm joined today by my lovely cohort of co-hosts. Wait a minute, where, where, Alex, Brett, Tess, that you're stuck with me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> We have a wonderful two-person show planned for y'all tonight. It's going to be great. <laughs> the last time it was just us two, we were doing uh we were doing a video on uh Last of Us, the original. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, we got an interesting lineup tonight. We got some stuff we wanted to talk about for a while that we've got mm. we got an opportunity now to to go into Ubisoft games because no one else <laughs> plays them. In our group. No one else is crazy enough to play them except us two. <laughs> <laughs> we've at least tried all the recent ones, so I think we'll, we'll we'll go into detail about that. But first, we've got some news to talk about. Oh boy, howdy do we! <laughs> oh, of course. And as always, this is a Star Wars podcast, so <laughs> we're gonna kick it off with arguably the biggest um, rumor news. None of this is like super clear uh but we are getting a lot of rumors like right as of now about an hour ago that a co- something kotor related is happening uh in a studio that is not bioware or ea related so it might the, have a chance <laughs> the thing with this we got rumors last year that a kotor remake was happening and then we didn't hear about it uh so i would I think this isn't the same thing because if a KOTOR remake was announced last year, it would have been with EA Mm -hmm. because of the exclusivity agreement. So I think this is probably, that means either last year's thing was bunk or something behind the scenes happened and maybe they they had gotten the license to develop something earlier uh, and they just hadn't actually finalized it until this year. Um, And there still is the fact that that EA license, they've announced they're not renewing it, but it does continue through the license period, I believe. Uh, which is either 2022 or 2023. I'd have to double check. It's uh, that, but... it's 2023 from what I remember. But yeah, we we also don't know if if that that is certainly something that might change. Like I don't think that's something that is going to be too hard legally to see change. Um, right. I I could see that being like both parties agreeing that that contract's not really working for them and dropping it. So uh, right. that has happened before in video games. I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case. Uh, so we don't especially, know, especially considering how big the license. Yeah, is, yeah. You know? Like it's going to be a big deal, especially considering it's not that EA can't make Star Wars games. It's just they're opening it up, and I think a lot of well, people at EA well, are. Well, uh, I feel like I feel like that statement is somewhat debatable. <laughs> I mean, EA made a Jedi Fallen Order. Like they did. No, no, game. they did. They did their, their last batch of Star Wars games, which yeah, was Fallen Order, was wonderful Squadrons, and also the way that uh, Battlefront Two ended up. It's just. I, I say that because uh, in in the entire lifetime, in the entire span of time that EA has had exclusivity, we haven't had that many Star Wars games. Yeah, uh, it feels like, and and this, you know, whether this is true or not, it, it just feels like there are more games that were canceled or never just never saw the light of day compared. Absolutely, to actually... it's also important to note um, the yeah. EA execs that made that original contract agreement don't work for EA anymore. They, that right. swapped over like a year ago. So the people that have been running with that agreement now are not people that were originally involved in it and probably don't have much stake in it, uh, is my bet. It might have been wanting to take the company in a different direction. So, yeah, uh, we have heavy rumors that we're going to be getting something KOTOR-related. Um, 
So originally this was just from a kind of like Star Wars news thing called Bespin Bulletin. And they stated that they had reports a new installment of the RPG series is in development. That specific outlet is known for being not always 100% reliable. That's not to say they're not reliable, but leaks are always a little bit flaky. So it's hard to know. But then they said one of their sources might have been Jason Trier. um, Oh, Who confirmed (laughs) that it's not with EA. So... If the, one of the sources actually is uh, Bloomberg's Jason Trier, he's known to be very, very reputable. Um, and I would be very surprised if some if he knows about this that it isn't happening. Um, he's yeah. like what he's probably one of the most like reputable and like well known game journalists out there. Absolutely, you know? and that's the important distinction here is he's a games journalist, not a like leak outlet. So he's not going to be reporting on things that are like generally just leaks. They'll usually be reporting on things he has he has talked to people at the company working on them with. Uh, so it's entirely possible Schreier is reporting that because he might have talked to people but doesn't want to break NDA or anything. Right, so right. heavy rumors were getting a KOTOR-related thing. Again, this is likely not going to come out for a while. Um, and it's rumored to not be, not be part of EA. EA is still technically uh, working on a Star Wars game. That isn't Battlefront Three is is the other rumor we got is that EA is working on another Star Wars sequel uh, that isn't Battlefront Three and I think also isn't um, Jedi Fallen Order Two because we know that Respawn is going to be working on that as a series. Uh, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, because because Respawn like no spoilers for the ending of Jedi Fallen Order, but Jedi Fallen Order has a bit of a sequel bait at the end. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, I think everyone kind of expects that there will be another Fallen Order. I think they've already confirmed that there there will be another, just not whether or not it's in active development. I would and, assume and it is. People definitely want a sequel. Absolutely. Well, I think. I think everyone who played that game really liked the cast and characters and wants to see more of them. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they and again, without spoilers, they, they set it up in a way where they can very much have uh, sequels that aren't really like... They don't have to be interconnected. It could just be more adventures with these characters. And I think most fans would yeah. be fine with that, you know? Yeah, I, I would heavily assume we're going to be getting either a Jedi Fallen Order game sequel. It's possible we also get maybe some kind of media sequel if that doesn't happen. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean the, the, main, the main character is both the voice and the likeness of the, of the voice yeah. actor. So they could totally get him to do some live action, which would be cool. I would love to, to see what... Uh, there's, a, there's a precedent for that with uh, Katie Sackhoff in um yeah. playing Bo-Katan. So yeah, it, it's totally possible that something like that would happen. Uh but we would assume that another Fallen Order games in development. Uh, we know Battlefront 3 is likely in the works. Uh, Although that's that's not coming out for a while. Yeah, because Dice is like Dice all hands on deck. We have to make this Battlefield game good or we're in we're in deep crap. <laughs> Dice is in a bit of a situation. So they've got they've got their hands full and and honestly that's the way they should have been doing things all along they they make such big like projects that need a lot of manpower like i feel like especially compared to other ea games so i'm really i am happy to see that everyone's coming together on this one because they really need it and what now that that it's just the two of us and we i think we're probably the most attached to star wars games in the group i want to talk a little bit more about some news we talked about last week which is the the massive developed Star Wars game that we know is in development right now, or not Star Wars right. game. Um, uh, yeah, Star Wars game. Sorry, I don't know what I was yeah. talking about. Not Star Wars <laughs> game. They, they are making a Star Wars game. 
Right. Uh, so for the people that don't know, Massive developed the division. And the open world Star Wars game they are working on is being headed by Julian Garrity, who was the director of Division Two, which we've both played at least a little bit of, I believe. I played um, a good. I would like for a looter shooter, it's not a whole lot, but I've played a, a good amount, I guess. Yeah, so have I. <laughs> so I, I've personally that has me pretty excited for this because I think the division is a really, really good developer for a Star Wars game. I could see an open world Star Wars game. Um being handled by them really well especially if it's like a bounty hunting game mm -hmm. i think that that is a, a great choice <laughs> what i'm what i'm worried about is that from what i remember they did say it was narratively focused right i mean the division is technically narratively focused <laughs> that's what i'm saying is that as much as i like ubisoft games in general and we're going to get more into that they always seem to struggle on narrative or at least it's always unbalanced because it's like oh yeah. it has good writing but the structure's kind of a mess or it's vice versa where it's like oh the the structure's pretty rock solid but like oh my god the script is a mess <laughs> you know like it's they've never there's very few examples in my mind where they've really been able to like nail it down properly and that's what i'm worried about uh I, I feel like for a star wars game if they can get good characters down i think that's going to be the most important part definitely but they've always struggled with that <laughs> you know so we'll you know fingers crossed but i'll I, you know we'll see definitely. yeah i i do think the thing i would be most excited about is the gameplay because i actually i think a lot of people have problems with cover shooters in general but of the cover shooters that i've played i think the division 2 is really really solid at nailing that like tactical feeling mm -hmm. of a cover shooter and making it feel a lot more active than it really is on a gameplay level the um, common the common yeah. comment for that is that it feels like real-time uh um xcom which i actually yeah, think absolutely it's is pretty yeah i think that's a pretty good comparison um because there's so many systems and so many little mechanics going on that make it feel like legitimately tactical whether you're playing on your own or with buddies like yeah it, it does a great job at that. that's my favorite aspect of division combat so i would love if they bring that to star wars uh, especially having played, I I th think you've played probably a little bit of the uh, the New Republic or Old Republic MMO, Wyatt. I, oh God, a, a bit a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, it's, it's been out <laughs> for a long time. Uh, but the one thing I really really liked about that game is the smuggler and the like other ranged classes could use cover mechanics, um, and had some oh, really cool like stuff that they could do with cover systems and as well as it being super narrative based. So I think that was a, a really fun kind of proof of concept for what this could look like. Uh, and obviously, I think this will be executed a lot better because that was a, a tab-targeting MMO. And <laughs> this is uh, presumably some kind of shooter, I would bet. Their uh, shooter, like, uh, mechanics are always pretty good. Like, they always, they always had, like, really good feedback for their combat. Yeah. You know, whether their combat as a whole is kind of depends on the game, but... Uh, at least their their feedback, and I would say combat, and like I think I feel like most of their games, at the very least, have been pretty good, and especially massive. You know, they've they've been with Division for so long. I think they're like their gunplay has always been really really good. So uh, that's I mean, and it's definitely different. You know, blasters versus like more contemporary weapons, but that does leave me hopeful, leave me feeling hopeful. Yeah, I'm just imagining what a like bounty hunting Star Wars game would look like if it had the dark zone mechanics. Man, I could get behind that. <laughs> yeah, we need another, we need another bounty hunter. 
maybe another Django Fett game or something like yeah. that at least. <laughs> uh, and we do know that that game is using the Division's Snowdrop engine. So, and that that engine performs remarkably well. Like for how uh, well, good it looks. And I was uh, one of the most disappointing things is like uh, when I was looking around online, kind of looking at this news. There were a lot of people saying like, "Oh, using the Snowdrop engine didn't that come out however many years ago?" It's a seriously impressive engine. Like, and and engines don't just come out for one or two games. They usually stick around for Absolutely. a good long while before like, developing before an engine, engine switch. is usually more expensive than developing a game. And if you're using that for one game, it's it's a waste, really. I mean, perfect example. Uh, Titanfall one and two are both made in in the uh, in Source. You would never know that, but they but they were, and they look great for the. You know, yeah, because the they they use Source for Titanfall. I believe so Titanfall two is in an offshoot of Source that they started to customize. Still, though, I mean, you're you're still working with, I, with Source an engine, engine still holds up. Like games are still made in Source engine, even though Source two I mean, is out. I mean, that's what I'm saying though. Is that like it it still holds up today, and it came out, you know. You know, how however many years ago over so. 20 years ago at this point i think it's... yeah and 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 like division 2 is still a great looking game like the snowdrop engine like that you have nothing to worry about there it's a seriously impressive engine and obviously massive know how to use it <laughs> you know they've they've made their last oh yeah couple of games with it so so i i'm definitely excited to see what that is i i hope they reveal it when it's ready to be revealed because i think my big takeaway yeah because Star yeah. Wars games especially have this habit of being announced at really weird times. They get ahead of themselves. Like, Jedi Fallen Order was announced super early on, and then we didn't see gameplay until basically the game was out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's Star Wars, so they want to, you know, it's like, oh, we're working on a Star Wars game. Everyone gets excited. They just get yeah. really <laughs> ahead of themselves, you know? So. Which I think has bitten them in the past, especially with, like, 1313, people being so excited for that game, and then it getting canceled. Oh, um, I mean, I remember when the first uh, EA Battlefront game was announced. It was literally like a yeah. like a ten second cinematic of like someone walking through the snow, and then you see an AT, and like that's it. <laughs> we didn't hear anything for like another year or something like that. Oh, we had like a tech demo or something like that. And you know, I I don't always think that's a bad thing to do. I think in the case of very specific things, like if it's the first Star Wars game in a long time, I think that's a good thing to do because that tells people they're working on it. Right, like people know they're going to be getting Star Wars. Um, same yeah. thing in the case like, of Elder Scrolls, because like Elder Scrolls Six announcement, it's just that's nice fair. to know it, that they're working on it. Yeah, it's 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 just it's it's weird how there's like so much hype built over so yeah. it, it kind of nothing, you know. I I don't know. It's it, that kind of depends on the person, I guess. But mm. it's like I feel like if you want to announce something, you got to have something to show. Absolutely. You know, I think you got a wow right away. So speaking of details of Star Wars games, there's another Star Wars game that got delayed last year that I think a lot of us are like cautiously optimistic for, and that is Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, I, I love Lego games, but I'm but you know, just to be honest, I haven't um I haven't really been keeping up with it at all just because it's like it's a lego game it's probably going to be good you know i don't have yeah. no concerns about its quality whatsoever <laughs> so the this is courtesy of the latest issue of playstation magazine uh issue number 184 has revealed some details on skywalker saga that i think why it will specifically tickle your fancy oh okay. so for some reason this is a talking point that you can play through the films in any order that's always been the case <laughs> 
with Lego Star Wars, so it's interesting that that was yeah. They they've needed to confirm that and reconfirm it over and over for this. Uh, the game includes eight hundred unique characters, oh three hundred of which are playable. Uh, so not all eight hundred <laughs> are playable, but <laughs> oh my word! Still, three hundred playable characters is a lot. Is this how do you say? Uh... You know, if I go there for a second, uh, everyone is here. <laughs> and why? Wait a moment. I got. I got to confirm to you. Oh. We have confirmation that Babu Frick is a confirmed <laughs> playable character. It's my favorite Star Wars character. <laughs> oh my god! I love Babu. it so much. Babu, my guy. <laughs> okay, so this is where things get a little bit spicy. Uh, we got to reveal that the game will feature ADS shooting, aim down sight shooting. What? <laughs> what? Uh, it, it'll have a new upgrade system, a more in-depth quest system, which will allow players to do multiple quests simultaneously in a new like quest tracking system. Uh, so yeah, the ADS shooting, I think, is <laughs> by far the most surprising thing. What? In that... <laughs> like... Like, because I remember in like, what was it like Star Wars? Um, I think it was uh, Force Awakens, Lego Star Wars Force Awakens. They did have like ADS sections, but it wasn't something you could do at will. Like, it, w it wasn't part of like the main control scheme. It was like specific parts. But this is just like at any time. Uh, we don't have that just... amount of detail on it because this is just from, um, this is from the the lead one of the lead designers at TT, uh, Don McDiarmid talking about the game so we don't really have confirmation about whether or not that's ads at any point uh i would assume it's probably a mode for the characters with guns would be my bet right and then like melee based characters have something else going yeah I, that's my assumption i don't think you would be able to aim down sights to like attack with your melee but i'm betting characters that have like a pistol or a rifle when you're using that you can toggle into aim down sights modes to get like, that first person shooter feel uh, we have confirmation there are 23 total planets and moons in the game, with 28 unique locations players can visit. Each location has a ton of quests, items, and characters to find. So it's a lot more, it seems like this is structured a lot more like a galaxy than like a traditional level-based thing. Oh my god. And what we're seeing. And this is where it's getting a little bit interesting, Wyatt. Each planet has its own local space where various random events take place, including oh, no. off-world quests and dogfights. <laughs> so we're starting to get into, like, space sim territory. Um, oh my god! <laughs> now this is where I started getting extremely interested. Players can be intercepted by capital ships in space, and then the player can then choose whether or not to fight to disable that ship or enter them to explore the inside. We're getting crazy with our Lego Star Wars Wyatt. I'm I'm just I'm kind of speechless right now. <laughs> like I am yeah, this is this is getting me pretty excited just on the idea that you can do that because that's something I always love is the ability is to like enter a ship attacking you. How is it that Lego are the only people out there that can make consistently good Star Wars content now? Like, just soak that in for a second. Not that I'm trying to diss Lego or anything, but like... It's not Lego. that hard of a license <laughs> to make a good video game for. 
right? No, but but like, but that's what I'm saying is that like, but but they're not just like decent. They've always I can't think of a single. They're going bad above and beyond. Game. Yeah, and even with like their previous like I. Can you think of a bad like main series like Lego game off the top of your head? I mean, there've been mediocre like, ones. Like the Hobbit one is just kind of forgettable, but but not but not like bad. they're never actively bad. Yeah, like um, at the very <laughs> least, at their very worst, they're still going to entertain your kid. Yeah, yeah. Right, they're still going to do a decent job of entertaining your kid for a couple hours. To and me, this all... really sounds like they're trying to make a game that's appealing to Star Wars fans of all ages, like not just kids, not just adults, but Making something that people that like Star Wars games will get a lot of good. And this feels like of. it's almost like in terms of because there's been a lot of Lego Star Wars games, right? Yeah. Like they'll they'll come out with individual like eras and then they'll start combining all the eras together. Like there's been a lot of games and, and re-releases and stuff. But this doesn't feel like another Lego Star Wars game. This feels like the Lego Star Wars game. And of course, you know saying? Wyatt, I have not yet mentioned the most important thing. Finn's character will be getting more screen time in the game than he got in the sequel trilogy. <laughs> I, I love that this is a specific talking point. <laughs> Which should be, this says that the people making this game know that people thought that was a problem. <laughs> and are now... That's such a big, like, flaming middle finger to, yeah. to me, I feel like. Uh, as much oh, as I defend, man. as much as I defend the, the, the sequel trilogy, that's always been, like, one of my, it's like, Finn is such a likable character, and the fact that he has nothing to do after Force Awakens made me, makes me so sad. So that's I do like. It's funny, but I'm glad to see that it's there legitimately. <laughs> you know, yeah. and full voice acting too, right? Uh, I believe so. I yeah, I'm pretty sure they said this game would have vo voice acting. Um, I would bet it goes for a mix of full voice acting and regular Lego shenanigans. Because oftentimes when the Lego games try to go for full, like, very serious voice acting, the tone just doesn't land. Uh, like, that was a problem be, with the it, Lord of the Rings Lego games. Oh, yeah. It's it's going to be kind of, like, goofy. But but I think for a game this long, you can't go without some kind of voice acting. Because yeah. it, it seems like there's going to be so much content here. <laughs> it's kind of insane. I mean, you're, you're, you're getting in nine films worth. I mean, are they doing, like, uh, anthology stuff, too? Like, are they having a... Solo stuff or um, I don't stuff? think so. I believe this is very specifically because it's the Skywalker saga. I think it's mm -hmm. very specifically about the main even then line though. That's films. that's nine movies worth of and tons of stuff. One game, yeah. And you have to assume they're probably going to uh, add probably a decent amount of Clone Wars in there as well, because yeah. Clone Wars is Anakin. Like Anakin's in that quite a lot. So I would be very surprised if we don't get like Rex and Ahsoka. Showing up as well. And thinking about it too, I'm just kind of shocked that they didn't take the route of like, okay, we're doing this new this new like Skywalker saga thing. It's going to be different game. There's going to be like very different gameplay from our original games. What we're going to do is like almost kind of like uh, like a Master Chief Collection kind of thing, where we just kind of release them separately when when they're ready. Yeah. But no, they're doing it all in one. Because it <laughs> like really seems like release. they're trying to make this like an interconnected thing. Um, yeah. Which I'm totally down for, even if it's it's a little weird, probably going from Clone Wars era to Republic era, uh, or New Republic era. It's gonna be odd, but I'm still I'm super down for that. Like, I, I have no I'm just issues. imagining, and like again, I, I don't want to diss on Lego, but I'm just imagining like if this was not a Lego game, but just a giant Star Wars game that was all nine movies. It'd be you know insane. What I'm saying? 
Probably that way be... too expensive to make, but I would love it. Well, yeah, yeah. I would I would say again, I don't want to bash on Lego, but like having it be a Lego game probably helps with budget quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's probably easier on the artists in in a certain fashion as well. All right, we also have some interesting news from the Bethesda modding community. Uh, they have oh. released a tool, um, an app that can now replicate speech based on the voice actors in the Bethesda games. So you can add lines what? for characters that replicate their thing. I'm gonna, I'll link you to this, Wyatt. So you have what? It for some characters it doesn't work super well. But for others, like the guard voice they add is incredible. Um, it, it's bonkers. Like some of the stuff is, is just the tech behind it is kind of crazy. <laughs> and I love that this exists because it means that now people can legitimately make changes to like main storylines in Bethesda games. And it'll be a little off-putting probably to hear the, the synth sounds for some characters. But for some of them, they're, they're remarkably good. Uh, and you could add new content with existing characters. Like that, that's something I'm super excited to see what people do with this. Um, I, <laughs> the modding community for <laughs> the modding community for Bethesda games, I feel like legitimately sometimes have more talented people than Bethesda themselves. <laughs> we gotta see when sometimes. Bethesda finally that's, releases a game. <laughs> that is in that's insanity, and this is like what you know. This is what Ubisoft was attempting with uh with watchdogs legion to a very mixed to very mixed results i would say to put it yeah i mean this is a little bit different in that it's very clearly kind of janky but kind of janky and modding is way better than it not working at all yeah but you have to (laughs) yeah if it's kind of janky it's like you have to give these people credit they're modern they're i mean they're probably i mean are they even making a dime off of this at all oh no absolutely not they're doing uh, this for free. The the developer but, of this does have a Patreon um for for mod yeah, developments but, in general but, but like not, but they're not you know there's there's no paywall behind using something yeah, yeah. like this. In fact, I have it downloaded. That, I'm going to try it after the podcast and and see what I can get working. Uh That is It's a super imagine, cool tool. So Imagine the amount of memes we can create now because we can make all of these Bethesda. Is I mean, why if you skip to, to minute whatever we want, minute two in that video, the the Northern Guard starts talking, and it is almost indistinguishable from regular speech for that character. Like some of the characters, it's very noticeable that it's AI speech, but for that specific character, it's almost indistinguishable. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's legitimately kind of stunning. Oh my god! Yeah, you. <laughs> I actually I can play this for the uh the podcast as well and jump to that oh point in time God. so that you guys can hear what this sounds like and this is not a uh this is not a person speaking it's an AI speech the final audio check the github page or the mud pages on the nexus to see more details instructions use cases and mud ideas again I'm kind of speechless crazy good crazy good uh and it's called XVA synth for anyone that wants to to take a, a dig at this themselves. It is freely available, uh, just a GitHub download for your computers, and you can mess with it. And it, it works in across all major Bethesda games. They even have a, a list for Starfield when it inevitably comes out um, that they're planning to have this working for Starfield. So it's super impressive. Uh, I think this is the kind of thing that, like, 
if this kind of tech was in Watch Dogs Legion, I think it would have made a pretty big difference um, in helping the game out. So, really excited to see where this goes. All right. Y'all y'all in the, in the Bethesda modding community are a bunch of crazy people. I love you guys, but oh my god. Yeah, great community. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we got some wow. other some other news from this week. Some that, that's most of the Star Wars news that we have any kind of confirmation on. Uh, right. We got Hitman Three came out reviews incredibly well, but the launch itself has been plagued with some major issues. And this is the weird thing. So Hitman One and Two had always online DRM. Hitman Three does as well, but for Hitman One and Two, people assumed it was like a Square Enix thing of wanting that to be there. And it's just weird because it's not like the game had microtransactions. Uh, it was supposedly for the sanctity of the leaderboards, but that never really worked anyway. So no one really knows why it existed. And for Hitman 3, it's proven to be a bit of a problem because Hitman 3 is the biggest launch the series has had. Uh, I think part of that's due to the fact that you can play the other two Hitman games within Hitman 3. So people that are new to the franchise can jump in at Hitman 3. So they're getting their old fan base as well as new people into it. All of them are logging on at once, and the servers are down basically the entire day of launch. All right, but Wyatt, wait. There, there's, a, there's some complications to this. If it was just server issues, you could play offline, right? But if you play offline, you can't earn any of the challenges. You don't get any achievements, nothing related specifically to like any kind of progression, which the game has tons of progression, but you need to be online for it to work. And of course, Hitman 3 has a progress carryover, so you can carry over all your progression from Hitman 1 and 2. But, for some reason, they decided to release the website to do that carryover process the day of launch, which meant everyone was trying to do it to carry their progress over. Oh, no. Now, there's a little caveat with that. You can play Hitman 3 without doing that, but when you do inevitably carry your progress over, you will lose all progress in Hitman 3 or that to carry over. So basically people were not playing the game because they don't want to play the game and lose all their progress. And up until it's still happening, there are still issues with the software to do this account transfer progression carryover thing where it just doesn't work half the time. And so you can't carry over your progress. And if you can't carry it over and you want to play Hitman 3, you're going to lose everything you do until you can. So you can't see my face right now but i'm doing like a dis like a disappointed parent like rubbing and it's my, so confusing because <laughs> the fact that this is in hitman 3 means it was io interactives doing and not square enix's because square enix uh is not publishing hitman 3 io is self-publishing so they decided this was necessary <laughs> and this was the correct way to launch their game and hitman 3 is fantastic like it is an amazing uh stealth game for anyone that, that hasn't played it, the new Hitman series, uh, I finished 3 relatively quickly because it's not a particularly long game if you're rushing the story. Um, and it was really, really solid the entire way through, and I can't wait to go back and play more. But it is just stunning how poorly this like online component of the launch has been handled, and the servers are still just fried. Like Half the time you just can't. You don't want to play the game because if you do anything, none of your progress is going to be saved. So it's very confusing. It's a really iffy situation to be in. Can we please stop doing always online games? <laughs> Especially for, for single player games with like no... Yeah, is there it, any kind of multiplayer whatsoever? I mean, there's leaderboards. That's a pretty well, big component, uh, uh, but like still. 
then all you need to do is have it so the leaderboards are the only thing tied to that online component. Like, I, I get needing to be online if you want to upload to a leaderboard. But if you're offline, you should still be able to play the game and progress in your own, like, single-player stuff that doesn't affect anyone else. Because there's going to be plenty of people, like, if I ever play it, there's going to be a lot of people like me that just don't care and just want to play the game. Yeah. And and they're being punished as a result. It, it's really, really weird decision-making. And it, it, it feels like old-school Nintendo making a really dumb decision, like calling their console the Wii U. <laughs> when it's a really good console, but they just made this one decision that's just so confusing. Uh, so I am just, I'm still super confused as to why IO is doing this. And the, the bigger issue is that IO has not been very communicative about the problem. So it's super hard to know if like it's a server issue, if the game's just not working. Like I had a weird issue earlier today where I was playing and then for some reason it gave me an error that a menu wouldn't load and then close the game but it was related to the online connectivity. So I don't know what was happening. Uh, and quite frankly, I'm just very confused. So <laughs> yeah, it, it it's especially harmful considering levels in that game can take up to an hour or so if you're doing specific things. The real question is though, can you play it on an Xbox One and a PS4? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm playing it on an <laughs> apparently right that's now. apparently that's too difficult to ask these days. Yeah, it is totally playable on old school stuff. It's also remarkable considering uh, Hitman Two was like a hundred gigabytes, and then Hitman Three somehow managed to fit Hitman One, Hitman Two, and Hitman Three in eighty gigabytes. Or so they're using some black magic compression over there. What that I really want to get my hands on because <laughs> and hey, it works hey, startlingly Activision. well. Hey, Activision! Hey. You guys paying attention? They're able to fit three games in 80 games. Three very big games with like entirely differently themed areas. Like there's tons Isn't of content. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? <laughs> yeah, it's I really how, wish Call how, of Duty could just compress their stuff. How big is 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 a uh, Cold War now? Hold on. I think altogether Modern Warfare at this point with Warzone is like 257 gigabytes, something crazy like that. Uh yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a little bonkers. Um, but yeah, and, and other more happy news, we got some confirmation that Valve is working on video games. Oh my god! And the, the interesting <laughs> thing in this specific... Normally Valve working on video games isn't really news because they tend to work on games and just not release them. <laughs> this time, Gabe Newell has specifically stated they are working on games that they will be announcing. Not plan to, not might be, but they will be announcing these games. So, I am very much looking forward to whatever Valve is doing next. Uh, considering Half-Life Alex was great, I hope they do some more traditional PC and console games and not just VR stuff from now on. I think they, they definitely should continue to do VR stuff because Alex was amazing, but... I, w I would like to see a traditional Half-Life game as well, I if that's be, happening. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a whole lot of, like, traditional games from them, though, because... Oh, absolutely. Because I, I feel like more so than... Because they, they're always pushing tech forward. Like, they still make really good, well-designed games, but I feel like more than anything, they push tech forward more than, like... And they tend to fully utilize that tech as well. Oh, yeah, not in, like, a cheap gimmicky way, to be clear, but they always do a really good job of, like, hey, here's some crazy new tech that no one's ever seen before, Absolutely. and then it opens the door for everyone else, you know? 
they always bring the industry forward. It feels like with every release, like whether it's portal and it's like crazy, you know, portal physics, or it was like the AI behind uh, Left 4 Dead or something like that, or the physics for uh, Half Life. So. Yep. All right. Uh, our last bit of, of like nice news before we get into the scandals, because we got some scandals this week. Uh, Stardew Valley. Oh, Stardew Valley right. received its 1.5 update a little while ago for PC, and it's been submitted to cert for consoles. So if you're playing Stardew Valley on consoles, uh, you will be getting a free massive update to the game, likely in the next week or two, uh, which is very exciting because that game is made by one person who has continued to give free updates for years just because he can. So, <laughs> I, think I mean, the game did really well for him. I don't think he has to do anything I else. think that's what he said is like he made enough money from it that he was like, I, I can sit pretty for a long time just making what I want to make. So yeah, uh, God, yeah. Man, God bless him. Honestly, God bless that man. <laughs> yeah, really, really good job on Stardew Valley, and I'm excited to play that update on my Switch. And that's uh, a good attitude to have too, where it's like, look, I've made enough money. I'm just gonna make like what I want yeah. and continually like update this game. Like that's such a good attitude to have. And we do know he's working on another game, but that it's going at its own pace and will be ready whenever. <laughs> and he's not being yeah, and he doesn't have to be rushed by it at all. Yeah. You know, so he's just like. Yeah, also doing Stardew Valley <laughs> stuff. Uh, we, and we also know Binding of Isaac is getting another final DLC. This is like the third final DLC that the Binding of Isaac uh, rebirth has had. <laughs> He's, Edmund McMillan has said it would be the final DLC like three times, and this is the actual final DLC, maybe. So that's coming out at some point. Uh, but now it's scandal time. <laughs> so Wyatt, oh, no. we've got, we got a couple of big scandals today. And one of them is not really a scandal, but it's a little sad. So we're going to start with that one. Vicarious oh, Visions great. has been absorbed oh. into Blizzard. So uh. we're still <laughs> super unclear on what this actually means. Uh, because it's really hard to find up-to-date information from the people at Vicarious as to what is happening. Uh, the wording could mean that they are now... Like, Vicarious Visions isn't a thing anymore. And it's just Blizzard, um, which seems pretty likely at this point. It kind of seems like the wording makes it imply that they are just kind of in Blizzard now. But they also don't specifically say anywhere that Vicarious has been shut down as a studio. They just say it's now fully on the Blizzard side and not the Activision side. As formerly Vicarious was more working for Activision than Blizzard. Now they are fundamentally on the Blizzard side. Um, and important to note here, Vicarious is a big studio. It's 200 people now also working with Blizzard. We know that they are now working on and have been working for a while on the Diablo 2 remake. Right. Uh, so what we, we know from Jason Schreier is that the Diablo 2 remake was being developed by Blizzard's Team 1, which is the Irving, California uh, team that is known for reworking classic games. Most recently, they're, much like a, they're, they're most like a blue point in that, yeah. in that regard. A, a, a very poor man's blue point. So, oh. <laughs> most recently, they released That's Warcraft harsh. 3 Reforged. And Wyatt, do you remember Warcraft 3's Reforged Giant Trauma, like when it released? Why, yes, I do, Ryan. <laughs> it, that game disabled the original game. Like, you can't play the original anymore, and there are just things you can't do. And if you want to make mods for so Warcraft bad. 3, if you make a mod for <laughs> Warcraft 3, Blizzard owns that mod, which is the fastest way to kill your modding community, I think. 
Uh, horrible idea. And yeah, so apparently we now know that the the release date for Warcraft 3 Reforged was made a decision by the executives and like never consulted with the development team. And the game released to like a 59 on Metacritic, <laughs> which is awful. Uh, it's a horrendous score. Right. Uh, many of the promise features for that game were not in there. They didn't rework cutscenes like they said they would. Uh, they removed content. So it's a little startling. And I think it makes sense as to why they wanted to poach Vicarious to do this because Vicarious has been on a hot streak. Like every game they've made recently has been very, very good. Uh, the Tony Hawk remakes, the Crash trilogy, all just very high quality. Um, so yeah, now Vicarious has been absorbed, which is good and bad for different reasons. I think we might be seeing some more high-quality stuff out of Blizzard because of this. They're getting a lot of really talented people, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean yet that we won't see any of Vicarious's other projects come to fruition, because uh, it's likely they were working on other stuff as well, and I would be surprised if we don't see any of that in the future, uh, maybe just coming from the Blizzard team name and not Vicarious anymore which I'd be totally open to, but at the very least, I think this means Diablo 2's remake is going to be good, which is really nice considering that game like essentially made the action RPG genre what it is. So I'm, I'm excited to see their take on that, but I am really, really disappointed we're not probably not going to be seeing more Tony Hawk remake, remakes, because man, that was like the highlight of last year for me. Like, such a good remake. So, a little sad if we don't get more of those, but... At least Blizzard has some more talented people now that are likely going to be pushing some quality stuff out. Hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. We we still again we don't have a lot of details on this aside because from the Blizzard, Blizzard is another Blizzard is another dev where it's like they haven't they've been kind of striking out a lot recently whether it's with releases or with uh, just you know publicity in general. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how like you know Overwatch two comes out and and that sort of thing yep and we we do know now that this is actually the, another interesting thing that schreier reported uh after the warcraft 3 remake they pulled the d2 remake from team one and gave it to team three which is the team that was working on diablo 4 and it's still working on diablo 4 but that likely means i'm betting diablo 4 is going to be getting a bit of a delay mm -hmm. because of that uh so yeah i, I would expect to not see diablo 4 until after the Diablo 2 remake is my bet. Because um, I have a feeling they don't want... They're not going to release these two games back-to-back -back because they'll be eating each other's market share. So yeah. <laughs> I'm betting... That's almost like opening, That's almost like releasing two massive yeah. open-world games within a couple of weeks of each other, Ubisoft. Ubisoft. It's almost like you shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, we'll be getting into that. <laughs> but yeah, that it's... It's a situation of Blizzard. We'll we'll talk more about that whenever we have more details. But as of right now, we don't have a ton. Hopefully we get Diablo. <laughs> and it's good. That would be nice. All right. So we got another big scandal. And by big scandal, I mean little scandal. But there were, there were two scandals involving Microsoft this week, Wyatt. Two ah, spicy yes. scandals. The first one, yes, because it's were. a little smaller and easier to talk about. Uh, the Microsoft Xbox... Instagram account responded to a comment saying that Fall Guys would be coming to Game Pass. And then Fall Guys immediately <laughs> had to make a ton of clarifications that it is not coming to Game Pass. Um, 
what? <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> to, this happened last year as well. This happened in December 2019. Uh, Control was rumored to be coming to Game Pass and had been confirmed by a Xbox uh, mixer stream. So, which is funny because it now officially is on Game Pass. <laughs> so yeah, what it likely meant at that point is that for some reason, whoever was running that mixer stream or like making the schedule had known that Control would be coming to Game Pass and just didn't realize it was probably under NDA for a while. So, oops, <laughs> that was a big oops. We know Control <laughs> is in Game Pass now, so. I, I would bet that wasn't like a control recently decided to come to Game Pass. I think it was definitely a situation of it was always going to come to Game Pass. They just announced it too early. Right. I have a feeling that's probably the same thing happening with Fall Guys because as of right now, Fall Guys still likely has an exclusivity agreement with PlayStation. So. <laughs> right. It seems like whoever is running that Instagram either had insider information or made a really bad mistake uh, and and just announced something that they really shouldn't have announced. So, even if Fall Guys is coming to Game Pass, it's likely not coming for a year. Like, if, if they're having to confirm that it's they can't come to Game Pass right now, uh, even if it is coming, it likely won't be for a while. And then it could have certainly been a mistake on the Xbox side, it could have been that that person might have seen some wrong information or saw something that was like a different game title and assumed it was Fall Guys. So totally possible that Fall Guys is not coming to Game Pass at all. But it's interesting that this is the second time this has happened. <laughs> so yeah, Xbox <laughs> needs to be a little more careful with their social media, it seems. Speaking of being more careful, Xbox. <laughs> yeah, be a little careful. <laughs> Uh, so Xbox Live Gold is still a thing uh, it, it exists for, it has existed for a long time it exists side by side with Game Pass so for those who don't know Game Pass and Gold are still separate things uh, which you probably don't know if you play on PC primarily and Xbox uh, Game Pass Ultimate includes Xbox Live Gold as well Xbox Game Pass Ultimate is $15 a month um, Xbox Live Gold, they were proposing to increase the price to $11 a month, which is very confusing, um, which you would think at first isn't a big increase because gold is, is normally $10 a month, right? So $1, not that bad, but they dramatically increased the price of the monthly things, um, it used to be and will remain to be now that we've got the second announcement of this that this is not happening. So none of this is actually happening, but they did announce that this was happening and then immediately retracted it within 24 hours <laughs> because of the backlash. So the Sorry. big announcement is that <laughs> Live Gold would essentially be doubling in price for a year-long membership um, right now and going $120. forward. $120. $120 for a year was what it would have been. Um, for those who don't know, gold has always basically been $60 for a year. Basically always. Uh, and it, they would have doubled that. Even though it only seems like a $1 a month increase, they were changing their pricing structure for the other time things as well. So 
it was essentially doubling in price if you got that yearly subscription. And at that point, there's like there's no reason to get a year long subscription if it's it, you're you're still you're only saving a dollar <laughs> if you do that. So it, it wouldn't have been worth it anyway. Um, but yeah, at this point, they immediately took that back. So this article went live at 6 a.m. at 8:52 p.m. that night. <laughs> They released a statement that is, we messed up today, and you were right to let us know. Uh, Sorry, guys, we didn't we didn't carry the four. <laughs> so what they did, <laughs> they immediately retracted the price change, and they also made another change that now free-to-play games will not require Xbox Live Gold. So mm. not only did they walk it back, they walked it back further. Um, <laughs> this is all very confusing. This is very confusing. Oh, all I can do is just laugh at, at, at hearing this. <laughs> no one knows why this happened. It, well, I wonder, I kind of wonder if they did the price increase because they were originally going to do the price increase as well as making free-to-play games not require it. And thus they were going to make it more expensive. So but that, that was already that, planned. That makes it worth less. No, I know, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, so there are two prevailing theories right now. The, the first is that this was just a really bad PR move and they realized it immediately, which is likely the case. Um, the second is, is, that the, is that this was a planned PR stunt. Which oh. could be the case, but doesn't make a lot of sense because this is the kind of thing where, like, if it's a planned PR stunt, the day turnaround doesn't really drum up a lot of things. Um... And, and what people think this actually was, was they were likely trying to move people from Xbox Live Gold to Game Pass Ultimate. Because Game was, Pass Ultimate has yeah. been doing really, really well for them. That was likely their move. Uh, and to be honest, it's just still super confusing. Because like now Xbox has three separate subscriptions you've got to keep track of. Uh, so it's it's still just confusing. But it was just a, a really, really awkward... <laughs> timing for this um so yeah it, it's it's just super interesting uh, we don't know if this was maybe th what my theory might be is that this was maybe a decision they made pre-covid and were planning to do anyway and then had written this up and had it ready and maybe scheduled this this blog post to go out and just forgot about it and maybe had a meeting during COVID to cancel it, and then someone maybe just forgot to cancel the the blog post going out. So That's, I could see that happening as well. That oh man, if that actually. <laughs> Either way, nothing is changing <laughs> at Microsoft, but it is just kind of stunning that this this and the Fall Guys things happened within like twenty four hours of each other. Um. So yeah, Xbox That's Live Gold went from being a decent deal to the worst deal in video games uh, to being even less important now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know, it's super confusing. Um, I'm very surprised that, X I, I forgot Xbox Live Gold was still a thing. I thought they had already just wrapped it into Game Pass Ultimate. I was wrong. <laughs> it is still a thing. Like, that has to be coming down the line at some point. Yeah, I think that's the assumption, is that live gold is likely not going to exist. In, in Microsoft's position, that is like the most obvious thing that they could do. The most obvious and the, probably the best thing they could do in terms yeah. of like 
Xbox's uh, like whole platform right now because it's a mess and they just need to unify everything now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was the whole confusing Microsoft saga that happened this week. It was a it was an adventure. We're happy to to be on it with all of you. So. <laughs> A Microsoft-related story that's uh, going up in flames, and it has nothing to do with Halo. Wow, look at that. <laughs> yep. All right. So, Wyatt, as you know, we always give out an award on this show. Every, every show, we have an award. And this week, Taylor, it's just for you, just for our, our, our Ubisoft oh, love. You shouldn't have. I have <laughs> the, uh, the best Ubisoft game that released in a very close period of, of each other in 2020. So, <laughs> if if you could only play, having played all three of them at this point, if you could only play either Watch Dogs Legion, Immortals Phoenix Rising, or Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which would you choose? That's Immortals. that's all I want to know. Immortals. Immortals? All right. I don't want explanation. I don't want explanation at all. I just want people to know. Okay. What that about you? Choose you? Immortals. About uh, you? Hands down Valhalla, but that's because I like Vikings. That's fair. And, and I think the big thing with Legion for me is that it soured itself on me with all the issues I had, mm-hmm. as well as like the very clear l- lack of ambition or lack of fulfilled ambition that it has. Like there's some very clear things in in Legion that they wanted to do, I'm betting, but either ran out of time for or it just wasn't working. I think they were banking on their one big thing to be enough to kind of support everything else. Yeah, and to me, to be to be honest, that one big thing isn't quite as advanced as even, like, the Nemesis system, which at this point is however many years old. Yeah. So... Like, three or four, something like that. Three or four years old. Oh, Nemesis system's older than that at this point. Shadow of, of Mordor is, I think, a 2015 game. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's been a while. And I, I'm kind of disappointed. It was a 2014 game. So it's been six years, <laughs> uh, and we still haven't topped it, aside from Shadow of War. So, that being said, that being said, I do want them to keep rolling with it, though. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it can become something really special, because I do think... You know what? I'll just save that until we get into the big Ubisoft Well, discussion. guess what we're doing right now, Wyatt? We're getting into the big Ubisoft oh discussion. So, <laughs> for those of you listening who don't know, Wyatt and I are, are the only two in our group that tends to play... <laughs> Ubisoft games pretty often. Uh, we've all played the the big three games we're going to be talking about: Watch Dogs Legion, uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising, and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. So I think the best way to to tackle this is in the order that I think we all played them, which was Legion, Immortals, Valhalla. Uh, so we're going to go from Legion to Immortals to Valhalla, and and kind of talk briefly about each one and our thoughts on it. Uh, first of all, I think overall we can say that Ubisoft likely should have staggered the releases a little more a lot more um yeah (laughs) so i picked up for those who don't know ubisoft has a game pass like thing on pc only called ubisoft connect plus uh which lets you play the like ultimate versions of all their games on release for 14 dollars a month something like that Uh, so i picked that up to play because all of these released within a month of each other. <laughs> With, within a full month. So I, I paid for it once and was able to play all three. Uh, and got to, to play... I, I put a lot of time into Legion. 
Um, more time into Valhalla at this point, I think. And then a decent chunk of time as well into Phoenix Rising. And at this point, I think I'm not going to continue that subscription because I'm, I'm burnt out. Like, that's the right. big thing with Ubisoft releasing all these games next to each other is it burns you out on open worlds. I mean, it's the same issue that Titanfall 2 had. It was released, yeah. like, right near another EA game, and it was coming out just before the big Call of Duty, and it just is just too much. It was too many shooters in the in such yeah. a short amount of time for people. So. Which, like, despite how quality all these games are, I think at at their base level, they're all at least seven out of tens. <laughs> um, likely more once they the bugs are sorted out. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just kind of a shame that they everything was so smash smashed together, especially because Ubisoft doesn't have anything happening for the next like few months now. Because Riders Republic got delayed. Uh, we're not seeing. I'm I'm assuming these games were originally supposed to be more staggered out, right? And they just because of COVID, they all got pushed back, but they had to release those in this, like, you know, fiscal year or something like that. So, yeah, they probably didn't have much of a choice in the matter. But, you know, what you're left with is three gigantic open world games, each with a lot of different systems going on. And it's just, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that does really seem like it's the case. Um, specifically for me, in since we're starting with Legion, I think the big thing with Watch Dogs Legion is that it feels like whenever they did that big restructuring of the game, um, pretty close to the release, they they restructured some back-end elements of the game to make it a little bit more streamlined. I think that was a mistake. Uh, what they said they were doing is they wanted to make it feel less like a super progression-heavy Ubisoft game. I think for Watch Dogs, that didn't make sense. Um, well, they didn't really have that for the for Watch Dogs 2, which, well, for context... Watch Dogs my- 2 did with the skill tree. And that kind yeah. of progression. But what I think happened was that they had more like stat based stuff going on than yeah, yeah. Than watch because and again I just want to say Watch Dogs Two is probably one of my favorite Ubisoft games. I I adore Watch Dogs Two so much. Um, and so I was looking forward to Legion just because you know uh, I to be honest I couldn't even really play much of the first one. I just didn't like it at all. <laughs> um, but no, two was great. And uh, this whole, uh, you know, re- uh, what's the official name of the system? Is like the recruit system or the? Uh, it's they it they referred to it as like a social system and the recruit anyone system as two separate things. Okay. Uh, okay. And what I actually think is is the most interesting thing in Legion is the social systems, which they don't use very much. So yeah. the social system is really really clever because it makes NPCs important based on the player interacting with them. So if if you run over an NPC, you will likely encounter at some point in the future a relative of theirs if you if you killed them or them if they've gotten out of the hospital. And then if you interact with them at that point again, they'll keep showing up as recurring characters. Mm-hmm. Which is wonderful. Like it's such a clever system that you see you tend to see like relatives of people you know. Uh it really reinforces that that they put a lot of work into that system. And also the, the way that all these NPCs are, are generated is really interesting because they pick an area of London and then a lot of like where they're specifically placed then kind of influences their daily routines and what kind of personality they're given and stuff like that. So depending on where they're supposed to be hailed from, it kind of like narrows down and, and then kind of picks the best match for creating a social profile for this yeah. person. It's, it's a really super cool, cool. system. Uh, the so thing that 
has me really excited about it. They talked about it and said that they designed that system in a way that it's very easily transferable to other games that yes. Ubisoft is going to be yes. making. Yes, so yes, like, yes. <laughs> I cannot wait to see an Assassin's Creed game take advantage of that. Like, man, I would love that so much to see like a historical game using that system. So I, I'm super excited to see what they do with it. I think Legion, the, the biggest like misstep in my mind is that it doesn't really show that system off a little more because you have to kind of actively look for it to notice it, uh, which means it's working as intended for the most part. But I think they could have done some cool stuff with the recruit anyone of making that a little bit more dramatic. There's a lot more potential that wasn't reached with a system like this. Yeah. Which I think is evidenced by the fact that it's the first game they're doing this. So I, I definitely don't think it's a big problem with the game. No, and and I, I see it as like, in a way, it's like no matter how you feel about the game, just because this system is now here and they're planning to use it in more games, I'm yeah. glad it exists just so that this technology can be pushed forward and used on other projects because I think it's such a cool system. And as we all know, Ubisoft has like completely doubled down on open world games. So anytime they can create this awesome system that makes their open world games better is for everyone else's benefit. Yeah, and it makes everything feel like a legitimate location, which is I think is the best thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the, the where that starts to fall apart is how Legion misses a lot of things that were in Watch Dogs 1 and 2. So there's a complete lack of like interior spaces that aren't for combat. One of I know Ryan and I talk about this all the time. One of the coolest parts of Watch Dogs Two for me is oh, if you want to go and uh, you know buy some new clothes or something, you had to walk into the shop and you can see like what you know what they're they're displaying on the outside of the store, but you actually have to walk inside and go talk to the guy and stuff like that. Like just that little. Yeah bit of extra detail just grounds you in that open world so much more it really reinforces it being a space like a, a location that your character lives in um yep. and knows it is nice it is nice that they still kept because this is one thing i'm going to be complaining about with valhalla later yeah is it, it is very nice that they were able to keep these different uh uh sort of like clothing chains that have their own identity and their own identity yeah they were still able to keep that which is nice and that's i'm going to be talking about that in <laughs> valhalla a little later but um yeah no that that theme is still there and i think that's that was a good thing to, to stick with but the other thing that's missing that ryan and i have both talked about a lot is you had this whole like phone ui bit in Watch Dogs 2 where it's kind of a menu where you can pull up like the map or call for like um, you know various things. You have apps that you had to download and stuff like that, and it's like you open the little UI is on your screen, but your character is still walking around, but he's just holding his phone out, and so it just does a great job of like again grounding you in the open world a little more while giving you all these options, and that's also completely gone. Or even little things like you can download a music app and just listen to to tunes from different radio stations and stuff while you're doing while you're whatever. walking around, which is like. Yeah, it's so confusing as to why that isn't in Legion, especially because Wyatt, at launch, I I don't know if it's still this way because I haven't played the game in a, a few weeks. Uh, the key binding for that menu was called smartphone. It was uh, called the smartphone right. button, <laughs> so right. that was cut content. Um, we know that was cut content. So yeah, it, it's. I think that's where the the game is evidenced a little bit of having been. I don't know if rushed is the right word because it it sounded like they never really were 
concerned about the game releasing. It was more of a there were some restructurings most of the way through the game that seemed also to COVID. have hurt the product. Yeah. Oh, COVID. Uh, hey. So yeah, I, I think the big thing that, that stood, stands out to me is I went back and played Watch Dogs 1 to kind of see, because a lot of people were saying like it's missing a lot of things from older Watch Dogs, and I wanted to kind of make sure I wasn't misremembering things, because um, I had a ton of fun with Legion. Like I was very much enjoying the game, yeah, and yeah. then like minor things started getting me. Like the fact there's a there's a limit of fifty people you can recruit, which means you likely won't be recruiting a lot of those like funny characters you see around that are are maybe not super strong, because if you're playing with permadeath, that's just weakening you permanently. That's like deciding that I'm gonna keep this intentionally bad person in my party, where I could have like another hitman or another drone specialist or something. Mm -hmm. uh, which I think like that limit should have been at least like 75 to 100. It really, really needed to be bigger than what it was. Um, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Especially because a lot of the characters, you can find like accountants that have passive skills that will start bringing you passive income. But because of the fact that you tend to not want to use them because of that limit, people likely won't engage with that system, which is very disappointing. Uh, they definitely need to... Yeah. Uh, if they're going to use this kind of recruitment mechanic in more Watch Dogs games, which I hope they do, like it's definitely like a flawed system now, but I think, you know, now that they kind of have the groundwork down and they can work on improving it, I really hope they, they continue with this and kind of flesh it out more. But, use it for something. Yeah, whether it's another Watch Dogs game or, or something like that. But they really need to tune. Um, I think there should have been something where. Because it just feels like they kind of give you everyone with these abilities up front, where I feel like they should kind of tune it to the player's progression. Because you just run into so many people that are just not helpful at all, and I kind of wish that they could change, like like the yeah like the the perks and the abilities that people have can adapt more over time. And I also feel like, and I and I remember us kind of disagreeing on this point a little bit, but. Uh, one thing that I wish is is that everyone's roles kind of affected, kind of either limited or gave more options to certain characters in certain ways. So, no, I, I agree with you on that. I think we just disagreed about how to do it. Like my my example, right, is that I kind of wish that uh, some characters just didn't use weapons or just had more harsh like limitations, but also much better benefits to using a character because it, it did feel like eventually a lot of characters started feeling very similar to one another and i just wish that the roles were a lot more defined in that way and maybe that's just trying maybe you just got to give the uh, each character more perks or more options or something but i just wish they were a little bit yeah. more distinct from one another i think my big thing is that it doesn't feel like you're a group um, i think it's very clear with some of the the character archetypes like the getaway driver that they likely intended at some point for there to be missions where you were switching between characters actively because the getaway driver has a useless skill set for any combat in the game Especially but it's because super no, cool for the open world stuff there's no driving missions yeah None. it's Which it's bonkers sanity um because the getaway driver has some awesome abilities you can like red sea part the cars to clear your path in the road uh, there's tons of really awesome stuff, but there's just no incentive to ever use them, it's which like is really disappointing. Almighty, where he just shoves all the cars out of the way. Like, like, it's awesome. What I'm betting they were planning to do at some point is have like tag team fighting game system of you can swap between like two or three characters on the fly. Like, I, I really wish that was in the game because I think it would have made it feel a lot more like you were playing a squad and not just one person. Because as of right now, the game kind of treats you as a singular protagonist. 
there's not really an it it doesn't really pick up anything like it's not the dialogue isn't different generally depending on your character uh and i really wish it was more of a recognition of like if you would talk to one person and then you're suddenly a different character and you to go talk to that same person that they maybe acknowledged you're a different person um i would have i'm and i'm kind of in two minds about this but would have been really nice to have like a squad of people to go in with so you're not just kind of rolling by yourself right but it's like oh yeah. you've got some ai controlled buddies to go with you but if you have permadeath on and they're falling in battle and it's not your fault i could see how that could be really obnoxious a simple solution is like make them like elizabeth from bioshock just have them not take damage uh right or stay out of the out of the firing line right and yeah you, you I, could you could do that as well and the reason we're, we're saying all this is because i think we both really enjoyed the game yeah and saw a lot of potential but uh, and back to what I was saying earlier about how it's missing things from older games. Like, I went back and played Watch Dogs 1, and Watch Dogs 1 has, like, way better and more interesting progression and a lot of really cool hacks that just aren't in uh, Legion, that, especially that are in 2. And I, I'm a little foggier on 2 because I haven't played it as much. I've been meaning to go back and do it. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, Watch Dogs 1, like, the blackout hack, tons of, of really awesome abilities that you just can't use at all in Legion. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is is just kind of sad. So, and here's the biggest. Well, one of my biggest um, disappointments was that one of my favorite parts of Watch Dogs Two was how detailed the NPCs are, not just from when you like profile them, but also the the different activities that they're doing. Right? They were so like in depth and crazy. Like I was just walking on on the beach, right? And then there was a couple that there's someone that that proposed to his. Uh, to his boyfriend, right? And it was this whole thing and a whole crowd of people came around and was like cheering them on and they were like, oh my God, I'm, I'm so happy. They were hugging each other. And then they would go off and like called their their parents to talk about it. And it was just, it was a whole scene and you could just walk away from it because it's just some like NPC like window dressing, but it was so detailed and it was so interesting. And just, you would see those little like interactions with NPCs everywhere. And that's just like It's also stuff like just reading text messages. And whatnot. Yeah, or or a little like phone call, like f bits of phone call and stuff like that. Just all of that like cool window dressing was just gone. And they did somewhat make up for it because they give you when you profile someone just through text and menus, they do give you the most amount of information, which is nice. Again, it's nice window dressing. But it's but... it's missing that narrative element, right? That character yeah. development element. It's like, well, it's because it, it's interesting to see like, okay. What we have in Legion is like the setup for a character, but then the text messages, the phone calls, and all of the interactions in the in the in the actual open world is like here's this character, here's what we're gonna do with them, and just seeing yeah. them in action rather than just reading about them, you know, is is disappointing. You need that that like here's the character, here's how they react with everyone else. Absolutely, it just doesn't happen. And I get that that's really technically complicated to accomplish but that's why i'm saying it just I feels want... like a regression because we had those things like they were yeah. working uh and they're not in legion and that's not to it's say definitely... that legion feels content light or anything but it is noticeable no no and the other thing too is there's a lot of people that are like oh it's like it kind of boring because you can just run in and just do like whatever there's no the thing is it's one of those games that you have to actively engage in its different systems yeah. where and that's where it becomes really interesting because I will say a downside, I think to almost every Ubisoft game is that their AI is never, they have all these cool systems and mechanics going on that are all like interlocking into place and it's really cool. 
but their AI has always struggled to make those systems interesting or useful. You know, I feel yeah. like that's such a constant problem where it's like their AI is just so dumb that you can just run in and just shoot everyone with a shotgun and call it a day and you don't have to do all these interesting things. But if you take the time and slow down and like use your hacks a little bit more and set up a ton of traps, it's so cool. <laughs> it's just you wish that the AI was kind of pressuring you to make those moves more often. Yeah. Rather than and and Legion has, has the problem with that where it kind of encourages you to always use certain subsets of skills on characters. Like, you almost always want a character with a spider bot, because the spider bot, occasionally you'll enter an area and just be unable to access things without a spider bot. There's almost never, there's almost never an area that doesn't use a spider bot. Like, and it's, it's always just it's like, crazy. it legitimately feels like maybe the spider bot should have just been a standard part of kit. Um, yeah. And I, what I would have made unique is have the one that can stun people be a, a unique thing. To certain or the characters. one that can double, or the one that can like double jump, because you can upgrade the spider yeah. bot to do a lot of crazy things. And it just feels like that piece of equipment is so much more useful than like the stun grenade, <laughs> or the or the dodge ability for hitmen. As cool yeah. as it is, you know me, I like a good dodge button, but it's not as useful as the spider bot. In like, well, I mean, you you can much. take the spider bot and the dodge button because the spider bot is a set of like. That's gear. right. That's right. Um, See, I haven't played in a minute, so I'm trying to remember. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it just like of of all the gear, the spider bot is almost always what you're going to be using because it's if you get to an area and like there's a mask that's hidden behind a door uh, that you can't access, but a spider bot can. So yeah. it, it, you're you're missing out on collectibles a lot of the time if you don't, which is just weird design in my mind. Um. And, and kind of discourages you from using anything besides that or the construction drone. Like, the construction characters are insane because of that drone that can let you fly. Um, and also, their melee weapon is really... Yeah. It, it's, it hits like a truck. <laughs> it's insane. And I, I don't think the balance issues are a huge problem in the game, but there are certain things that I think, like, Watch Dogs 2 approved that can definitely balance a game pretty well. So it would have been nice to see them maybe shift some of those things around and make give people like a universal dead sec abilities that are like you're a dead sec, right? You have the ability to use a spider bot. Or maybe if your character can't use a spider bot, have someone at the base that's like remote VPNing not VPNing, that's a, that, not what that does, but uh, like remote <laughs> connecting in to control that. So you use right. that squad system. Um right. like I would have loved if maybe getting certain characters permanently unlocks things. Like if you get a hitman uh, you permanently unlock like whatever their weapon is, so anyone that knows how to use a pistol can now use that weapon. Because um, like to me, it doesn't make sense that you can have characters that have like a pistol, but for some reason they always have that one pistol and not another pistol, despite them not being different at all in function. Just like it's like, why can my hitman? I can get a hitman that has either a silenced pistol or a regular pistol. Uh, they both exist, but I can't swap between them um, on a character, which is a little weird because there's no will... difference. I will say, kind similar on that note, one thing that I got so obsessed with is there are a lot of different clothing pieces that you can purchase. And because there's so many characters to customize, if you're like me and you just love, you'll, you'll spend hours customizing characters, you will spend so much time buying different clothing pieces for all your different agents. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I almost did the opposite. I tended to recruit people based on if they had like a cool style. Uh, like, I, I found one dude that I think is still the most fun character I've had who had, like, the Death Wish stat and the Kung Fu stat. So he would run around. I, I just played him like a crazy Kung Fu action hero, <laughs> knowing that he, like, 
at any moment could totally just drop dead, but <laughs> just run into places and use the like kung fu strikes is super fun. Mm-hmm. If you get into that character mindset of the different characters you're playing, I think it's a lot of fun. But and I started I started doing things like I, I showed a, I showed you a picture of this a while ago, but I t- I yeah. I got a, like a driver who had a lot of driving stats, and then I just made him look like a baby driver. <laughs> you know, like I just had so much fun with the with the customization. And again, it helps that every store has a different theme. And so you kind of have to put in some effort and travel around to the different spots, which was really nice. Yeah. So I think going out on a shopping day, (laughs) I think overall our our opinions on Watch Dogs Legion are that it certainly is missing some stuff. And I really hope they do release some updates down the line, like with DLC that will make that a little bit better. Uh, Because they certainly have opportunities too. But there are like more systemic issues with it that I think a sequel will be what fixes it and not Legion itself. Like the the lack of any kind of skill based progression to your actual characters, especially like a design skill tree. Because seeing going from Watch Dogs 2, which has this really cool looking like radial skill menu mm-hmm. that is like fully all just useful skills for different areas of the game, like missing that just feels really weird. Because it often feels like you can do a like enemy camp or something, and just you don't come away with anything. It's one of the first like Ubisoft open world games that's come out in a while that doesn't have that skill tree. Because if there's one thing that I always like about an Ubisoft game is that they have some really cool skills that you can unlock that like really changes the way you interact with the open. World. Especially Watch Dogs. Like Watch Dogs has always had that. Yeah. Another um, good. Ex- another good example. Uh, you know, Far Cry Five had a lot of really cool skills to unlock, like hand, the hand gliders and being able to like repel yeah. up cliff faces and stuff. And it's just, it's just not here. And with a game like Watch Dogs, there's so many opportunities to have really cool. And then going back to Watch Dogs One, I think skills. one thing that like let them get crazy with some overpowered hacks is that you had to craft them, and you could have like a limited number. So like if you had to make a blackout, you had to find the stuff to make a blackout hack. And so you mm-hmm. knew when you were using it that you were expending resources. And I think that was a very fun aspect of playing that game is like you have to balance that. Yeah. Yeah. But we do need to move on to talk about mm-hmm. our other games because we've been talking about Legion for a while. I think overall we, we summed our opinions pretty well up when we did the uh, the game of the year awards. <laughs> and It's a seven. It's swimming a seven. in sevens. It almost is an eight. If it didn't have all the bugs and it just was a little bit more polished, I think it could have pushed that. Uh, but it's missing a lot of like minor things. From it's missing a lot games. of the watchdogs stuff. Yeah, like I, I think in their push to make it unique, they took away a lot of the things that made watchdogs what watchdogs was. Yeah, and I think Ubisoft was, it was kind of took like the their... wrong things yeah. out when they were. Well, considering it's their that. it's their GTA, right? And I feel like yeah. a lot of the cool things that grounds players into the world in GTA were in. Uh, previous Watch Dogs games, and they ha- and they were just removed here. Yeah, and also like, things that separated time. it from GTA, like the skill trees and whatnot, are now just missing. Yeah. Um. So yeah. it has less of an identity, which is sad, considering that Legion is so much about identity and like having yeah. that group. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see what Watch Dogs does next. But or at least where the tech of Legion goes. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I would love to see them use it in a historical setting. Like, man, I would love to get like a. Uh, Another urban Assassin's Creed using the mm-hmm. social systems would be super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, moving on, let's talk about Immortals a little bit. Yeah. Um, out of all three that came out, this one was my favorite. And I think I think that's just because I feel like it's the most uh, 
consistent quality out of the three. Like the threes have like peaks and valleys where I feel like this game really kind of um, is a lot more consistent uh, in its in its design and again its its overall uh, quality. It feels it's probably the most focused, uh, mo- most like realized Ubisoft game that I've played in a while. Is a good way to put it, at least for me. Yeah, I th- I think I had pretty similar opinions. Um, the big thing with me, I, I dropped Immortals relatively quickly because I wanted to focus on Valhalla and knew if I played both, I would burn out 100%. <laughs> um, <laughs> like me! <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I did finish both for some reason. <laughs> and I think with Phoenix Rising, the big things that stuck out to me are it does feel a lot like Breath of the Wild, which I think is a good thing. Um, it nails a lot of the aspects of that, like map exploration, especially the world design in Phoenix Rising, is just really Excellent. fun. I think out of all three games, we can both agree it has the best world. Design. Oh yeah, super visually striking, like color everywhere. I'm just each, happy each to see area vibrant. It's so yeah, sections. each area is, is so like visually distinct from one another too, which is which yeah. is great to see. Which I think is where it's just a little weird for me because for me, the character designs in Phoenix Rising just don't do it. Like, they're, I don't like them. It's something all. about the they proportions me, is just off to me. What they remind me of more than anything is those Xbox avatars, like the the updated ones yeah. that came out a few years ago, and it, they just look off putting. They just, I don't like them. They, ugh, yeah. And I also think it's like, for me, I made a, a character and it, all the time, just this like weird sickly green around the eyes and you can't get rid of it because there's no like makeup (laughs) option so (laughs) it was driving me insane and i think it was tied to skin color um which is just weird it's like it's green it's (laughs) it's like a green (laughs) eyeshadow that doesn't look good uh it was driving me insane in all the cutscenes. to be clear i have no idea what he's talking about he's shown me pictures and i've seen it but I have no idea what he's talking. I think it's. About. it's that wasn't a problem I think it's specific to the female character. I don't. Well, because I played. I played for the female version for most of the game, actually. Yeah, then I think it, it must be skin color that's doing it or something. Um, Interesting. But it, Interesting. it's weird. It's just a, a super odd thing. Uh, and yeah, I, I think a lot of the character design is just a little bit, a little bit like Clash of Clansy, <laughs> in a weird way. That's a good way to put it. I think. Yeah, I think it's a mix of Clash of Clans and the Xbox avatars is a good way. To yeah, put it. I think that's like, which is just like I, not that it's a bad style, but it doesn't appeal to me. And I don't like it. It makes I, me take the game less yeah. seriously. Well, well, I mean, you're not supposed to take it that seriously. It I is. know, but like less seriously than I think it wants me to. <laughs> that's fair. I, I would say it, it's starting to get like on par with like Lego games, <laughs> uh, which is not what the <laughs> game how, wants to about- be. That's about how seriously I took it, to be honest with you. Like, even without the character design, I I think the game does not take itself seriously yeah. enough. Um, well, I think it takes itself seriously enough for the kind of tone it's going for. But... Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a problem that's not serious. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. But I do think... that's It's refreshing, actually, <laughs> for, yeah. for an Ubisoft game. I, I do think a big thing that probably is why a lot of people kind of bounced off Immortals and why it hasn't gotten as much hype as I think it probably deserves is that they they kind of build it so closely with Breath of the Wild that it might have set up bad expectations for some people, uh, myself included, because I think when a lot of people think of Breath of the Wild, they love that open world, uh, like sandbox puzzle approach, like almost Hitman-esque approach to combat, 
where you use the environment to your extreme advantage. And I think like we do have games that are doing that, like Genshin Impact. That's what Genshin Impact's combat is. I like. would say even uh, Watch Dogs Legion is a better yeah. example of using the environment. Absolutely, actually, yeah, I would the, definitely the agree. Um, it, it's certain. It's something that I think you would find more in Legion, Hitman, uh, and obviously like Breath of the Wild itself. Mm-hmm. Whereas Phoenix Rising, the combat plays more similarly to like a a generic action game. Um, it plays like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I think more more so than anything else. That's what it reminded yeah, me of. Yeah, with, with some Breath of the Wild abilities thrown in, like you do have your your weird magic abilities that you can use. Uh, yeah. and I I think the biggest thing for me as to why I bounced off of it was not any specific aspect of the combat, but the animations to me just had no weight. And, like, normally in games, you tend to have an option to swap a weapon around. That's why, like, it, when I play Valhalla, I've been using the heavy weapons because their animations have so much impact to them. Um, oh, yeah. Whereas, the sound design is Oh, yeah. In Phoenix Rising, it feels very, like, almost JRPG anime-esque. <laughs> which, yeah. like, I should wide a video of um, Tales of, of Berseria, I think it was. And mm-hmm. the combat, like, strike animations are pretty similar across both very very similar and it's just a little bit like it, it just it lacks impact um and I, I think for a lot of people that's not a problem but coming it's less of a from problem for me i know where yeah. you're i know where you're coming from and i definitely notice it but it's it is less of an issue for me it's also not going to stop me from playing the game like i want to stress that that's not the reason i stopped playing the game the reason is because i wanted to play valhalla and don't have the time for both like it's not that I'm not planning to play the game more. It's just, I think if you really want like a combat-oriented game, Phoenix Rising might not tickle that itch. Although, I, I will say, I prefer Phoenix's combat over Valhalla's, and we're going to get into why uh, when, when we get into Valhalla, yeah. but I did prefer this over Valhalla. I think Phoenix has more interesting combat, but Valhalla has more weighty combat. It came down it. to... I don't even want to call them bugs, but we'll I'll I'll talk about it when we get there. But this felt very fluid to me. It didn't feel very like animation oh, yeah. heavy, um, which I think I usually prefer. Um, and I was I was getting to that point where I was like, yeah, there isn't a whole lot of variety to combat. And then I started to unlock more and more abilities and and move sets and combos and stuff. And by the end, there's so many tools for you to play with in terms of like combos and and you can kind of develop different, you know, strategies for whatever you're fighting and stuff. So for me, and you have a lot more experience in melee combat systems than I do, but for me, I was unlocking so many cool things uh, very much near the end of the game that that kind of kept me because I was kind of starting to burn out. And then I unlocked all these things, and then it just I kind of kept going because it got the combat just after a certain like our mark just got so much more interesting and a lot more yeah. fun because there are some combos that I've pulled off and I think I have clips. I should send you some because some of the clips I have saved are super cool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think properly. that's where we're for me. I, the big thing that kind of took the satisfaction out of that for me is that most of those abilities are like button press combos and not, or not, not button press combos, uh, but like hold a button and then press another button and you'll instantly do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't have a problem with. It's just I tend to prefer more like true combo, Devil May Cry style, where you need to actually like perform an input 
that has right. advantages and disadvantages. Uh, and Valhalla's not like that either. Like Valhalla doesn't have those. It, it still does the one button thing. Um, but I, I think that's part of why the combat wasn't as engaging to me. Not that it's worse. This is it's just a preference. Yeah, it's it's like if you're playing the game for like depth to combat, Devil May Cry is more <laughs> your sweet, uh, right, which I, right. I don't think is the, to the surprise of anyone. <laughs> right. Uh, but Phoenix Rising, yeah, great world design. The humor, I think, is where the game gets a little bit more divisive. I think it hits more than it misses, personally. Yeah, um, I, I would agree, but I definitely and, think it's going to depend on who you are. Yeah, it's very, like, Marvel, quippy, sort of, uh, sort of, like... The entire game is like that as well. Like, it doesn't let up. Ever, Which... yeah. If anything, it, there's certain moments where it just doubles down a lot. <laughs> um, and, and I liked it personally because, like, if... Cause part of this discussion is we're kind of comparing all three of these games to each other because we played them in such, like, a, a short, short amount time of time. time. It so helps to, like... It, and I kind of said this already, but, like, it's such a nice change of pace for an Ubisoft game to just not take itself seriously. Like, I think the last yeah. time there was an Ubisoft game that was just kind of treated itself almost like a joke was like um was mario and rabbits you know and it worked really the humor there worked well for a lot of that a lot of that game as well and i think here it, it like hits more than it misses and even if it misses it's like you're almost having fun of you're almost having fun with like how cringy it is sometimes yeah you know um yeah, you can you can laugh at it sometimes. Sometimes you'll laugh with it. Sometimes you'll laugh at it, but you'll still be laughing. So, also, it is by far the most like technically proficient game in terms of like performance and bugs and that sort of thing. Now we did play on pl different platforms. I played on PS5, where I still had the least issues by far it, out of the three. It didn't crash once. There wasn't like a single dropped frame, at least not that I could tell while I was playing no like just noticeable bugs or anything it was like it was kind of wonderful actually <laughs> yeah i can't remember the last ubisoft game that was like that ran that well or like just tech was te as technically proficient like that was really well done and if i could also say one thing in comparison to uh valhalla if there's one thing that this game gets right is that it adds a stamina meter when you're climbing, which was a very Breath of the Wildy thing to do. Not that I'm saying that Assassin's Creed needs a, a stamina meter, but it needs something when it comes to climbing, which I guess we'll get to when yeah. we talk about Valhalla. But I thought the stamina meter here worked really well. Um, the only thing that I didn't like was for some reason your stamina lowers when you sprints when you sprint, and if you're playing on a controller, you you sprint by holding uh you know the your x button or your square button which either means that you have to you have to dodge first and then you run and then you have to hold down the square button or the x button it's also got a super weird animation as well yeah <laughs> like, um that animation sprint, was always kind of bothering me and i don't understand why sprint was square when Clicking it when like L, you know, L three or you're clicking in the left stick does absolutely nothing. Yeah. The entire game. It's like you have the button that every single game uses for its sprint, unless you're like Rockstar or something. That is your sprint button. And you are not using it for anything, which 
is so bizarre. Especially because you, there are a lot of times where you want to be able to control your camera and sprint at the same time, and you just can't. It was yeah. not an option to do that. Yeah, that was very odd, and I was like, "How did that not? How did no one? How did no one notice that?" But yeah. the other thing I do want to talk about, uh, I don't really want to talk about the story as a whole too much because in this game, yeah, we we don't really have time to hit in the story. Be it really doesn't matter. But I will say there are some because a lot of them are like kind of arcs related to various like gods and goddesses, uh, Greek Greek gods, right? Some of them are weird and kind of don't make sense. Like the Aphrodite arc is so weird and it feels like you're doing a bad thing. <laughs> it's very weird. But then you have others like the Hephaestus arc, which was great. Yeah. And it just felt like there were two completely different writers in those sections. It was very strange. It, it definitely feels like at some points the game is trying to play into the whole Greek god vibe of them being super arrogant and like self-absorbed. And trying to play into that, but at the same time, it like doesn't explain that to the player at all. Uh, it also tries to humanize them and have you like kind of um, relate to them yeah. or, or have you feel bad for them, and it just like doesn't work. It's really weird. <laughs> A little weird. <laughs> um, um, but the only other thing, very good. Very good. The only other thing I'll mention is both Ryan and I were not a huge fan of like the visual design of a lot of the armor sets. Yeah, there was just the only one I liked was the uh the eagle bearer one which you get as like a free no you have to like pay a few ubi coins or whatever and that's literally just the armor set from assassin's creed and i thought that was the only one that i like legitimately liked a lot of them are just very clash of clansy i think is the right word they're they're, they're too gaudy it's not they're that they're too... too flashy they're too like ostentatious like garish almost yeah. um because I usually prefer more like simple, understated type of stuff, and that's just me. And so there really wasn't an armor set that like satisfied that, I guess. Well, it's like I want to use an armor set that looks like it belongs in a Greek setting, um, and I'm okay with it being a little flashy and a little bit like godly inspired. But mm-hmm. when you've got like Warhammer size shoulder plates. <laughs> On and this, like, like feathers tiny character. that are bigger than your feathers that are longer than your legs, especially with like, like the proportions of the character and whatnot, it just doesn't really work. Um, yeah. So I, I think that could use a little work, but again, I think we both definitely enjoyed the game. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm looking I mean, forward out to of going the three, back it's to the it one at some I point. Avoid. And I also just want to say the big thing before we move on: it trims out so much of the Ubisoft fat. There's so much less grinding, and there's just so much less time spent doing just random things it's so and you much can like more, totally like, rush focused. the the actual narrative stuff in that game it doesn't box yeah. you out from doing things any any amount of like oh i have to go farm some resources and stuff feels like it's part of your journey and not that you have to actively yeah. go out of your way so i will it. say the the other final thing that bothered me was that there were like four different currency resources and none of it them are like paid me. currency it's just like it feels like that could have been better contextualized Instead of I just did like, being I, I did different kind of, essentially. I did kind of like them because each one has their own sort of like mini game associated with it. Well, I like that, but I, I don't like the currency themselves. Like, I, I don't like that they're like the visual design of, the, of those different sections of your menu looks like a mobile game currency, right? Oh, yeah. yeah like, yeah, it yeah, just yeah. it doesn't feel very satisfying when you open a chest that you just did this big shrine to get. And the whole it's game just has a like. Mobile 
has a mobile game kind of feel. It just explodes <laughs> into like a bunch of like crystals that I'm just like, what? <laughs> the whole visual design feels very mobile gamey. Although the environments are great. It's mostly, I guess, the characters yeah. that just like are bizarre. <laughs> it's just weird. It's, it's those weird little elements of it feels like someone looked at like Clash of Clans and was like, this is good. We, we need this in home this, console gaming. Yeah. I think in comparison to Legion, I'd give this a solid like eight. Yeah, it's I think that's a good spot about where it. I would put it as well. I, I definitely really enjoyed it. Um, I think the narrative is, is going to be the, bit, the most hit or miss part of the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of the gameplay itself felt great. Like the movement feels really, really satisfying most of the time. Uh, yeah. As long as you're not trying to like boost glide or sprint. <laughs> yeah. Feels good. Yeah. But yeah. All right. Moving on because we got we to gotta talk a bit about Valhalla. We're already getting oh, pretty boy. deep into this. So. Yep. We're going to have to probably cut off a little bit of what we would have said about Valhalla just for timing's sake. Um, so we're... I think the big thing I wanted to, to say with it is that I really like a lot of the stuff that they've done with like the aesthetics and especially the combat animations are really solid this time around. Oh, they are awesome. All the finishers <laughs> are just fantastic. Like Every weapon has at least like three or four different... Uh, finishers you can do that are just so after, built into the combat. After last week's episode, I like there was like a, I streamed a YouTube video to you and to Alex, just showing you guys some of like the finishers in the game. They're so we satisfying. Were just, we were sitting there. It was like it was like watching a Marvel movie and opening. Everyone was just like, oh, we were like freaking yeah, they're, out. They're just was, super was cool. Awesome. Uh, I think the only other game that like has that level of quality to the finishers is like Shadow of War. And Shadow of Mordor, I think, have really, really Doom, good Doom's finishers. finishers. Doom's like uh... oh, Doom's on another level, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doom is an entirely different level. We we can't compare this to Doom. Um, but yeah, I think in general, for a melee combat game, super satisfying. And I think for me, that that's a huge part of why I enjoy it so much is that like the animations just feel good when they Here's happen. My problem with the combat. Um, there are so many moments where it just misses your button inputs. And yeah. It is so I cannot tell you how many times I like wanted to huck my controller across the room because it's like, oh, I wanna like I wanna dodge or I wanna parry, and it just doesn't register it at all. And so it just feels so unresponsive. Sometimes. Yeah. I think what they wanted to do is almost move a little bit more towards not souls direction, but like that Sekiro combat weight of where things you have to commit to an action right i don't think that works for assassin's creed no and there's just there's never a moment where i was confident in me controlling the character in combat like and it always felt because if you know when i was playing uh immortals for instance it felt effortless it's like okay when i when i parry when i dodge when i attack i know it's going to happen Whereas it feels like I'm constantly wrestling with the controls in Assassin's Creed, and I'm never like confident in what I'm doing. Yeah, and that's such a and that's such a turnoff for me, because it's like, oh, right, I'm fighting this big like hulking guy, and he does his like rune attack, and I want to dodge, and I just don't dodge. I just sit there. It's so, oh, it's so so frustrating. Yeah, it definitely feels like, especially I think dodging in general, the timing is a little weird. Mm -hmm. um and it's it also off. it fell off yeah i i think the reason it stands out so much is that a lot of the combat almost feels like it's designed pretty pretty heavily for like one-on-one -on -one fights but most of the game is fighting like four to five enemies at a time 
there's giant like raids and sieges where you're fighting more than that too. yeah and like it doesn't it's not that it feels bad when you're doing that but there are certainly the actual moments... impacts and feedback is great yeah but it just feels like your controller disconnects for a split second it's just it was so there was there was legitimately a moment where i felt like my controller wasn't what, what I think moments... it probably is, it feels like moves have too much end lag. Like, at the end of their animation, you still can't, like, cancel into a dash or something. Which it really feels like yeah. you should be able to do. Because, uh, I mean, there was a moment where I was fighting one of, like, what are they called? Wardens? Or they're they're called, like, the... Uh, uh, something or other. The big, like, nine, like level 90 guys that are running around. Right? Yeah. I was fighting one that was, like, way under-leveled than where I was at the time. And the guy kicked my my ass because I kept wanting to dodge or parry, and it just wasn't happening. So I was just taking hits constantly. Like I was well near the end of the game at this point, and I was fighting someone that was level ninety, and he absolutely wiped the floor with me because the controls were just not responding at all. It yeah, so it's a little odd. I, I think they definitely. It feels like they wanted to not let you cancel into dodges when you really need to be able to do that. The way the combat is almost designed. Yeah, uh, it, it wasn't designed it to, to be that way. And that kind of carries over to climbing, too, which is yeah. probably the clumsiest it's ever been. Which is weird honestly. because it's also the floatiest it's ever been. Like, yeah, it, yeah it's it the most... It didn't feel good. The, the least restricted, but at the same time, that kind of feels worse in a lot of scenarios. It felt better in, in Odyssey, and uh, even with the older control system, like I think Unity probably has the best climbing in any Assassin's yeah. Creed. And like something I always love in Assassin's Creed is like running up to a wall, seeing that like brick that's spaced out a little bit that you know you can grab onto, and that's how you scale the wall. Here you just run up to a wall and scale it wherever you want. Like it's very Breath of the Wild, or it's very Immortals, which would be fine if there was something like a stamina meter to make it more challenging. And to but be honest, is... like I don't think Assassin's Creed should go the stamina meter direction. No, like it I don't really either, feels but, like they should stay in that. But what it feels like is that they have that kind of climbing just without the stamina meter. So yeah. they either need to have the stamina meter, or they need to go back to something like the older Assassin's Creed games, where you actually have to look to where you're climbing before you actually do. So it. I think it was a lot of fun in the older ones. It's like how a lot of the climbing sections, like the spires and whatnot, were just puzzles. Yeah, like you had or to even look around and explore. I mean, or even if you play Syndicate, because I don't know if you ever played uh, yeah, I did. Assassin's Creed Syndicate, but like the the zip line in that was so much fun. Like the grappling hook was awesome, and yeah, it maybe have taken out a lot of the climbing sections, but there are still plenty of moments where you wanted to do some parkour and some climbing. But like if you want to get to the top of a of a building quickly, that option was there and it was super cool. Whereas here, it's just you have Breath of the Wild's climbing without the the stamina meter, so you just have the worst of both worlds in that respect because it's just yeah it's too uh liberating i guess it's because well, there's not any challenge to it at all like you always know you can always get to certain to every point essentially um and they have to go out of their way it's like oh if you want to go to this castle we have to like really go out of our way to make sure you can't climb it with like the wooden yeah it, it, it feels like they contrive locations to make sure you can't climb them Instead yeah. of them being, it, instead of like making it so the climbable spaces are very readable, it's now the non-climbable spaces that you have to read. Yeah, uh, which I don't like. Um, okay, and I think I think with with me, the biggest thing with Valhalla that's a little off-putting is that the game itself has all this like conquering and whatnot that you do of England. That's the big central conceit at the start is that you're taking over England essentially, right. and. 
I think the reason this hits a little bit differently for me than it does Wyatt is that I play a ton of like Crusader Kings and Mountain Blade, which are games with the same goal essentially. But you have a lot more leeway in how you do it. Whereas here, whenever you're doing those missions, it, it's very narrative, very like there's always a specific path to victory. And I think that's a little misleading sometimes if you look at the like way the map is displayed and whatnot. It might make you think it's going to be more like uh, a Mountain Blade scenario where you kind of can approach them from any angle. You can approach them in, in kind of any order you want, but you still do have to do those main missions and those narrative reasons for everything. It's more of a backdrop, yeah. like a visual backdrop than it is like a mechanic. And it's Which once I got past that, I started enjoying it a lot more. I think it just you have to to take that in as what it is and like accept that it is more akin to like Assassin's Creed liberating the different areas in Syndicate than it is yeah. um like Watch Dogs Legion which, with how you can approach which, you the know, on the It's run. it's an Assassin's Creed game, so that kinda makes sense. Yeah, not a bad thing. <laughs> you know? It's it's not a bad thing. I think it's just the way they advertise some of that is a little bit misleading as to that. And if yeah. you go like, in with like that expectation, whole, it will hurt your enjoyment. Like the whole alliance map part of it just feels like unnecessary like it didn't need to yeah. be uh presented this way you know because there really isn't a point to present it in the way that there's like oh i gotta go talk to ranvi to go to the alliance map and put down it's like that didn't need to be there like, it's like it that that made very... sense in dragon age inquisition <laughs> yeah when you were specifically like making decisions about what areas to do things in but here like you're gonna end up doing it all of it anyway so <laughs> There's all this pageantry surrounding it that feels a little bit unnecessary. With that being said, there were quite a f there were quite a few of the arcs individually that I really enjoyed. And yes, a lot of them have a similar formula of this guy needs to become an elderman or this person needs to get to this position of power. And so that's the basis for a lot of them. But I still really enjoyed the individual arcs because they had either some kind of, you know, kooky or fun characters or they had some legitimately interesting drama going on. Or just some fun individual missions. Like there was always something to enjoy yeah. in all of them, I think. And I, I think a huge difference here from Odyssey is that the dialogue writing is oh, way better. My lord. The like, difference they, it makes. Characters are yeah. fairly consistent. They're, they talk in ways that humans talk. <laughs> <laughs> There's some like good banter, some well-written lines between characters. And it helps because... Um, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he was the writer for Assassin's Creed Four. I forget his name. Which, too. which, yeah, which was very, which was very similar in that I feel like the overarching story is like less important than the characters, and all of the character interactions in that game were great. Yeah, and so it's great to have him back writing, and I think he needs to be more on in involved in this series because I think he's doing a lot of good things with the writing. Um. Overall, way, way better than Odyssey. And, and like, not to say that Odyssey was particularly awful, but it, it, it certainly was at some point, it stood out when it was bad. And here, there, I haven't encountered a moment where the any of the audio is like so poorly written or something that I'm actually taken out of anything. There's been like one or two poorly written yeah. side characters, but like they don't matter. It's a short side quest. Um, but all the main stuff has just been pretty high quality throughout. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say like voice acting is not doesn't see the same amount of improvement, but I would still say it's an improvement as well. I'd say it's more consistent at least. Like Odyssey had a few That's characters fair. that were just awful. <laughs> yeah, where you're like, how did you get a job? Whereas <laughs> at least 
<laughs> most of the other characters I, I haven't found a character that just has a bad voice yet i found characters with weird voices like the, the kid who does the fisherman's hut <laughs> sounds a little weird <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah. But I think that's because it's it's a kid, and it probably is like an adult person voicing them. Um, yeah. th- that's like it, it did why. feel occasionally like people were talking weirdly, very slowly, and like yeah. weirdly articulate. Like I always remember, like the, the blacksmith in your in your town, uh, Gunnar. He just had this weird way of like speaking where he felt very like slow and articulate for no reason at points. It was very odd. I don't know, but. Yeah. Um, Overall, a lot more consistent than Odyssey. Definitely. I, d- um, I will say I'm not going to give away the ending, but it kind of just falls flat for me. Um, which it I often seems it like has, has been the case with a lot of Assassin's Creed games. It just it just doesn't nail that ending. You know, like, Where it, it uh, kind of seems like they're just averse to having a true ending, like actually having an ending. <laughs> yeah, there's no... Well, the, the big problem, and I was explaining this to Ryan a couple of days ago, the big problem is that there's no, like... Like, if you play something like Mass Effect 3, the crescendo, it's all building up to that ending, and it's, like, epic at the end. And even right? in, like, Mass Effect 2, which is the midpoint of the trilogy, there's a huge buildup to that final confrontation. Yeah. Even if, it, though it's, it's not the about, final, final confrontation, it's still super important. And it's all about the the pacing and the ramping up of that tension, right? Whereas here, it's just, like, it starts to, and then it just stops, and then an ending just kind of comes in out of nowhere and then another ending you're supposed to care about comes in out of it's it's so weird the way that they delivered because there's kind of three different endings <laughs> to like three different parts of the game i'm not going to give away anything but it's just weird and it was not handled well at all which was very disappointing especially when you're like me and you decided to do all of the like you decided to align with all the areas and finish the story, and it takes you like 150 hours or something to just end like that. It was very, yeah. it was actually kind of frustrating. <laughs> but I think it's certainly fair. I think that's the one complaint that's been pretty universal is that Valhalla feels bloated. It's so like so much. It, it, so not to say that long. any of the content is like bad. It's just there's it. It takes True. so long to get to an ending that you probably are going to lose motivation partway through. <laughs> it it was. Kind of shocking, actually, just like how... It's like this game is longer than Persona 5. Like, Persona 5 is often held as a game that's super hard to get into because it's long, and that game takes like 80 hours to finish. And like I said, (laughs) I did like... I want to say, being conservative, I want to say like 130 to 140 hours, right? And that was me like beelining the story. Yeah, and I'm like like eight hours in... I think, and I am just about to finish, like, conquering my first area. Yeah. Like, that's just the first section. (laughs) They really needed to cut out some of the other arcs. Or move some of them to be optional. Like, that's what it really feels like. It's not necessarily that they need to cut content. No, 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 no. Let's say, let's cut, no, no. I say they should, because then they don't have to accommodate so much, and they can make a much more, like, well, they can make a much more focused open world. Yeah, because... I get that. I have a feeling the way Ubisoft is structured, that's not what would have happened anyway. Um, I, I think what was likely the case is that a lot of different people were working on different sub-stories here. That's my bet, Which is that the way they divvied the up a lot of... varying quality yeah. at times. I, I think that's probably what was happening, is it was different teams assigned to different um, sections. Because the other thing to point out, Valhalla is the exact opposite 
to uh, Immortals in terms of there is just like it's it feels so bloated. Like not only do you have all of England, right? You also have the starting area in Norway, which is its own sort of. And this is where fair warning: we're about to get into mild spoilers. We're not going to mm-hmm. say the the big spoiler that Wyatt and I discussed earlier. We're not going to do that right now because we just don't have the time. Um, right. But minor spoilers for gameplay. <laughs> that's its own thing. Yeah. Then there's an entire uh, area in Vinland or Newfoundland, which is like basically United States, right? So there's a whole, well, modern day United States. It's like New England area-ish. New England to upper Canada. It's actually, it's supposed to be where, you know, Assassin's Creed 3, it's kind of around that area. Yeah, Um, which makes sense. Then you also have this other sort of, I'm going to call it a dream sequence open world section. Yeah. That's the one that we don't want to spoil. Own... I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just saying it's a dream sequence that is its own open world section. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. That's why we're being and... a little, little like less specific on that. Is so you can, if you're playing the game now, we don't accidentally. Yeah, but that's its own spoil open. The so there's just there is so much, and all of them are sizable. Space. Like all of them are pretty sizable. Um, yeah. The the main like Europe map is by far the largest, but all the other stuff is like not insignificant. So Vinland, uh, Vinland, Norway, and uh, the dream sequence area are all relatively the same size, I'm going to say. And then maybe Vinland's a little bit bigger than the other two. And then and then England is just huge. Like it's yeah, massive. I'd say if you combine the other three, you might get close to the size of England. It's still bigger. Yeah, England's still bigger, though. Combined. It's uh, and I didn't feel and, and I guess part of it is maybe they wanted the size to reflect the actual like one-to-one or at least as close as they can which i can understand but i really do feel like cutting out a few excuse me i really do feel like cutting out a few of the arcs and especially consolidating in england, england. Like, there's a lot of england to go through yeah. and i think they tried their best to have different looking areas because there are some areas that it's like obviously there's like swamp land there's like a whole section that's just all snow in the mountains uh, and then a lot of just rolling green hills and and mountains and stuff. And like so I think very they, good looking. This game visually oh, is very gorgeous. good looking. There were people that were saying it didn't look like it didn't look next gen when it first came out, which I don't agree with at all. I think it looks gorgeous. Um, I think they tried the best that they could in terms of trying to have different areas that had different looks to it. But I think it's so big that it still starts to look a little samey after a while. Yeah. And I really do think just consult because like, here's the thing. If you cut out some of the arcs, you consolidated the size down. Not only could you have, I think, a better looking or a, a better designed open world area, but you could also have spent more time with the arcs that you kept in to make them a yeah. little bit more like have a little bit more meat on their bones and then maybe be able to tie in that ending a lot better like it also I really do it think feels, cutting some content would have been would have helped a lot personally it feels a little weird to recommend this but i almost think if they could have just really what needs to happen is some of that stuff needs to be moved to not be part of the main missions because man it takes way too long to get to the ending uh, have those other areas like have norway and have those areas be like the optional sort of like alliances if you want right and like and what, then, what it really feels just like have england and then have england be the mandatory ones and i think what you really could have done is take a few of those sections and do the uh the original witcher 3 approach of release those as free dlc post-launch yeah. like once a month give a, a nice injection of content that's like actually well made and produced and is like a substantial 
um, like three hour section of gameplay. And I think that will really that would really help them keep players around, which seems to be their their goal now is to make Assassin's Creed a game you might play over a longer period of time. Uh, and that probably would have helped with that. I think that would have definitely cut some out from the main story and put some as like post-launch DLC that would have been fun. Um, oh, and we didn't even talk about so Vinland is a weird section of the game. Well, gonna, we will about, we can't we, talk about that now because we are running late. Okay. So we do have to cut it's off. It's very about differently here. designed than the other areas of the game, and I wish more areas of the game had that kind of philosophy going on. Because yeah, we'll likely talk about it again at some point because there's still there's a lot to talk about with Valhalla that we've just kind of run out of time for because we, we've almost hit the two hour mark. Wyatt, we've been going <laughs> at it. We've uh, been we've been trekking. <laughs> And in order to keep our podcast uploads under size limitations, we got to stop at a certain point. So <laughs> that means I, I think overall impressions of Valhalla is pretty solid throughout, just maybe a bit too long. In, um, and more inconsistent than... Uh, than uh, yeah, like the, the combat is a little odd and that you don't have a lot of the, the like flowiness that Odyssey had. It's, it's frustrating. Whereas I, I think for me it's less of a problem because I'm I'm bouncing between it and Dark Souls currently, <laughs> so I'm used to like oh, animation locking, oh, okay. so it's not as much of a problem to me. But it still does definitely stand out. It doesn't feel like Assassin's Creed. I think it would be a good way to feel it. To put it, it feels a lot more like what I would get out of a uh, a proper like Middle Earth game almost <laughs> is what this kind of yeah. feels appropriate to. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think overall, I think for me, Valhalla is probably my favorite of the three, just because I'm, I'm a history nerd as well, and it's ticking a lot of those boxes of just like a really cool portrayal of Europe in that time period, um, covering some really and fun stuff that you get to see in other games as well. Like I, I just like the time period a lot and the locations. Yeah, and and you know, obviously would not have spent as much time playing the game as I did if I didn't enjoy it. Like I do. I just I just wish it knew when to stop. Yeah. Like I wish it, I wish it knew when like okay, we've shown off all of our all of our bells and whistles, now we're going to end. And I think that's what Immortals did really well. It's like, all right, we've shown off everything, now we're going to end it right as we've kind of shown our last card whereas the house like, no, 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 we can keep going. It's fine, right? <laughs> and it just is yeah, too bloated. Yeah. But I did enjoy it, obviously. <laughs> All right. Hey, Wyatt, you know what that means it's time for? Gotta. Oh, is it, is it tea time? It's, it's tea time for shout outs. Yeah. Which means <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll start because I got to give a shout out to my dog. My dog, Gracie, is a trooper. Uh, she hurt her foot, fell in a hole <laughs> in the part, dog park the other day, um, and has been limping. So we got to take her to the vet tomorrow because. It's it's really really cute seeing her hop around on three legs, but I feel really really bad for her the entire time. Um, and she's she's not clearly not in pain because she's not whining or anything, but she's staying off of that foot, which has us a little concerned. So we're taking her into the vet, but she's a little trooper. So, and she's old too. She's like a at this point like fifteen, and she's not really showing her age. So still still doing really really well. All right, Wyatt, what you got for us? Uh, shout out to whoever wanted to put that really awesome uh, Blade Runner Easter egg in um, Cyberpunk that I came across recently, <laughs> and, I and I thought it was awesome. All right. 
Well, with that, we will see you all next week. As always, 7 a.m. Tuesday mornings on podcast platform and YouTube. We have fun here. Yeah, yeah, we do. And look at that, we just hit the two-hour mark. We're actually going to hit the two-hour mark exactly as the outro music ends. <laughs> oh, we're just, we're so good at this. We're so good.